and welcome to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing a Dialogue, we put comics into historical, theoretical, and educational contexts. I work with K-12 students in schools in addition to alternative educational settings. I have three graphic novels out in addition to self-published works. I have a master's degree in art education. And I am a PhD student in the University of Florida's English program. I also have a master's of English from UF. Um, my research focuses on trans embodiment and experience in comic and zines and museum studies. And I also make self-published comics. Um, and I'm just going to make a super quick note before we jump into it that I'm currently out of town, so I don't have my usual recording setup so if my audio is like a little bit lower quality than usual that is why and i apologize i just want to embrace that our words aren't of low quality <laughs> you know mm -hmm. so just because our voices might be grainy does not mean our feelings are grainy. Mm -hmm, so true. I this is this is a weird energy to come into. So today yeah, we are going to be talking about sports in schools and the rights of transgender students, inspired by recent events in me, Kathy's professional life, aka my book being banned, and the scads of reporters who have been trying to talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. um, I've hinted at this um, happening on Twitter. Um, so you might have known, you might have heard of this, but I'm going to get into it more mm -hmm. on this episode. So here's mm -hmm. a quick summary of what has been going on. Um, so my 2019 middle grade graphic novel, The Breakaways, was banned by a school district in Texas in October. And subsequently, the Houston Chronicle reached out to me for an interview. I was happy to speak because this first reporter who reached out tied the book being banned to a larger narrative of the ongoing attack on transgender student rights. The specific House bill being mm -hmm. one that didn't allow trans students to be on sports team in schools that aligned with their gender identities in Texas. I'm going to be talking about this House bill a lot. And this ties nicely into The Breakaways, since it is a, a book about a soccer team and includes a character who comes out as transgender in the book. Yeah. Um, I'll include a link to that first article in which I do actually talk to the reporter <laughs> in, yeah. in the uh, show notes. Yes. I'm not interested in going into the nitty gritty of the school district's arguments, as I don't see the benefit of platforming their bigotry. But a blog titled Adventures in Censorship did a close reading of the complaints and debunking them, and that link will be also be in the show notes. I think my stance on why I'm not interested in going into the specifics will become clear shortly. Since then, I've been reached out to by a lot of reporters and news agencies. And when I say a lot, I mean at least a dozen. Um, mm -hmm. My book has been placed on the notorious list of 850 books that Texan politician Matt Kraus wants to ban. Mm -hmm. I'll now read my statement that I've been given a variation of to every subsequent reporter. So this is the statement that I send everyone. Mm -hmm. Okay. The banning of my middle grade graphic novel, The Breakaways, is a ripple effect from the larger, more terrifying trend of targeting Texan transgender youth. House Bill 25 was recently signed into law in Texas that strips transgender students of their right to participate in school sports. And then I'll have a link to the Texas Tribune. School banning serves as a distraction from the real harm politicians like Matt Kraus perpetuate. Equality at Texas says he is, quote, a prolific author of anti-LGBTQ legislation. And then I have a link to equalitytexas.org. Book banning is a way to drum up media, quote unquote, debate, distracting the public from the important facts that are not up for debate. LGBTQIA Texans of all ages deserve the same opportunities as all other Texans. I stand in solidarity with LGBTQIA Texans. So that's the statement that I have been given every reporter. Yeah. Now. I'm not terribly interested in playing into the book banning narrative. 
Mm-hmm. My quotes have been getting cut from articles left and right. I'm disturbed that the media seems to prefer to write these puff pieces, for a better word, about cultural war mm-hmm. while ignoring the real violence that's happening. The original reporter I spoke with at the Houston Chronicle made that connection. She connected my book, The Breakaways, to the House bill banning transgender youth from playing in school sports. She came to me with smart, thoughtful questions and talked to me as a teacher, an education scholar, in addition to talking to me as an author. Right. Since then, I've had a number of reporters reach out to me and they always ask me about my feelings. Mm-hmm. How do I feel about my book being banned? No smart questions connecting it to the wider violence, instead making the ban itself the story. Right. The story isn't my book being banned. Right. It's not about my feelings. It's mm-hmm. about real transgender youth, real people, and their real lives. Yes. And it's a lot like what we've been talking about for years on this podcast. Comics themselves are not activism, right? Mm-hmm. They are not a political change maker in and of themselves. Banning books is a distraction, a canary in the coal mine, a ripple effect of very real violence. Mm-hmm. It's a distraction the way Trump distracted the media for years with story after story, puff pieces about this or that outrageous thing while he was doing real violence that he shunted the media's eye away from. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow the media to do that with my book. Right. And we've done episodes about how comics can serve important things. We've Mm -hmm. had the banning conversation, the censorship conversation, the power images and story have. I'm not going to Mm -hmm. get into that today. I'm going to focus because I'm not going to play into that distraction. Mm -hmm. They want to debate and I refuse to. This is not a debate. Transgender kids deserve the same rights as their cisgender counterparts. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about transgender kids, their rights, and in this case, sports. Because that's the conversation that I want to have. Those are the real kids I care about. My book is indeed for them, and I want them to be able to read it. Right. But this is a story about their rights being stripped away from them, and it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And we're going to look at research about it. To spell out exactly why it's wrong. That's my opening intro. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts, Remus? No, I'm just ready to get into it. (laughs) You want to talk about sports? Yeah, let's talk about sports. (laughs) All right. So, sports in schools. Why? Page one of the introduction of the book that I'm starting with goes, quote, If the imprint of sports is everywhere in education is arguably because sports are everywhere in contemporary society, end quote. As we begin to to talk about sports in school, I'm aware that we are a podcast based in the arts and that we carry our own experiences and biases on athletics. As art kids, we can carry past trauma when that comes to school sports. Hell, that's what The Breakaways is about. Mm-hmm. Um, Remus, do you want to share your sports experience in school? I will. So I went to an art middle school and an art high school. Um, so Double we did, yeah. So we didn't really have a sports culture. Like we didn't have a football team or anything like that. Um, and I was not interested in sports, and I just never played it or was made to play it. So I don't personally have like a strong connection to it but I have Mm -hmm. seen at UF at the college level because University of Florida is a huge sports school I see it sort of at that level more than anything else yeah yeah and I'd say a lot of the research that is actually out there does focus on uh professional sports and college level sports yeah um the purposes of for the purposes of sports in schools, I'm talking about K through 12 education mm-hmm. um, because uh, this is mandatory education, right? Legally, everyone yeah. has to do K through 12 education in the United States. Yes. Um, and so if you have a subject within school, there has to be education research behind it. So mm-hmm. that's the focus of this 
Um, but yes, but you see the culture and that trickle-down culture from college sports into what would be happening in public and private schools. Yeah, exactly. So um, the first book that I want to bring in is Sports and K-12 through Education. That is its title. Um, <laughs> edited by Ian Parker Renga and Christopher Benedetti. Um, in their introduction, they quickly address some of the biases that people think of, right? Um, it discusses the misinterpretation of meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, for many, this is a common sense recipe for success. Practice hard, give it more than you've got, keep getting up, and leave it all on the court. These are often highlighted as the core lessons of athletic pursuit and form the basis of a common understanding of merit. Mm -hmm. The prevailing meritocratic storyline is troublesome, given its tight association with individualism. Unchallenged, the storyline can breed blindness to different and a belief to different. It must be difference. I must have just Mm -hmm. copied that down wrong. That's what's messing me up. Also, I'm not super excited about the word blindness is the word that's used in the quote. Sure. Um, However, you know, we just did an episode on disability. So I would rather not. I don't think I don't agree with the use of the word blindness here. Right. Yeah. um, Unchallenged, the storyline can breed blindness to difference and a belief that individual grit and gumption matter more than markers of group affiliation. Seen from this vantage, efforts to address systematic oppression based on race, class, gender, sexuality, or ethnicity are interpreted as attempts to rig the game against the winners and excuse the losers from assuming personal responsibility for their failures. These concerns would seem to indict merit as an inherently flawed concept though such a dismissal might be hasty. The real culprit is arguably the overemphasis on the individual and the impoverished view of community it engenders. Mm -hmm. This is not to downplay the efforts of individuals in such a project. Rather, it encourages an expansive view of success that assesses individual achievement by its production of mutual gains and sharing benefits. This is a view of merit that seems lacking in public discourse on the value of schooling. Mm -hmm. And I had never really thought about how much of the conversation around sports can focus on the individual rather than the collective, but um, how it is so rich with with lesson possibilities for teaching Mm -hmm. about teamwork and community. Mm -hmm. So like what, what they're referring to is like, if you're thinking about like, we focus on like Kobe Bryant. We focus on like uh, Michael Jordan. We focus on these individuals rather than and their individual merit. When the entire like conceit of team sports is that you're a team. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I know. And for like a book that's just titled "Sports in K through 12 Education," I like almost started crying reading this. Um, introduction. I thought it was so mm-hmm. beautiful the way it was talking about how it was like there is like this meritocracy power problem. There's a bullying problem with sports mm-hmm. in schools, but that is not inherent in what's why we have sports in school. Right. Um, I just like found that really <laughs> emotional. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as we, I I should say. I work in a high school. I work in a high school that has a lot of athletic focus and I get Mm -hmm. to teach art to these kind of athletically minded kids. And I just have always wanted to spend more time with sports to understand it because my own biases are sports versus art, right? It's either one Mm -hmm. or the other. You went to an art school. There wasn't a sports (laughs) focus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I was just going to say this is basically what the plot of High School Musical is, uh, but yes, <laughs> it is common, and that's that's yeah. actually that's not a joke. I mean, that's the lore. Yeah, yeah of that American is. media about high school, right? You're so, a jock or you're an art nerd. Like, there's not yeah. room to be both. Yeah, exactly. And I just I just think that 
sorry, I just noticed this typo. I just am interested in, like, my own life, my own educational mm-hmm. experience now is breaking down those barriers. Yeah. And um, just wanting to learn more about sports. This this book really was kind of amazing. Um, so as we move into thinking more about identity and sports and school sports, um, especially for transgender athletes, they continue, this book continues to address bullying and the body. Mm. Too often, athletes' indiscretions are overlooked, especially if they carry one's favorite team to victory. Indeed, the best athletes can also be bullies who enforce a rigid social hierarchy based on impressive social norms. The frequent observation that misogyny and homophobia are common problems among athletes as players vie for power and status by terrorizing the vulnerable. As many K-12 teachers and school leaders can attest to, this jockeying tends to carry over from the locker room into the halls and classrooms, poisoning school culture and establishing a hostile environment for LGBTQ students, students of color, women, and immigrants. We did talk about this in our masculinity episode, too. Yes, yeah. Um, To this point... A number of scholars have provided compelling evidence for how sports can act as a barrier to progressive social change by normalizing harmful discourses. Scholars of physical culture have also shown how the construction of the body image through athletic activity poses a number of pedagogical challenges for educators. Media representation of the body are especially troublesome in how they convey racialized and gendered norms of physicality that can have negative consequences on young people's health. What sports culture can offer education is building community and the concerned athlete who strives to achieve greatness fairly and humanely is merged with the democratic ideal of the thoughtful citizen who strives to a better society. This vision of merit, directed toward the fulfillment of just and inclusive communities, is what sports culture can offer K-12 education. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we are speaking about the body, um, there is a claim that transgender students could have a competitive advantage to their cisgender counterparts. My personal argument is to say, what is the purpose of sports in schools? Mm-hmm. It cannot be only to win. Mm-hmm. As we've just addressed, it cannot be simply to win. That doesn't have an educational leg to stand on. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I want to bring in another article from Education Week titled Transgender Students and School Sports, Six Things to Know About a Raging Debate by Evie Blad from October 22nd. 2021. So this is happening now, right? Yes, yeah. Um, There is a section titled Transgender Student Advocates Dispute Claims of Competitive Advantage. So quote, Backers of bills like the one in Texas say transgender girls will have an unfair competitive advantage in girls' sports. They point to differences like tee boxes that are closer to the hole in women's golf, faster average run times for men's runners, and potential differences in testosterone levels, particularly for teens who have not received gender-affirming care like hormone blockers. But advocates for transgender girls, especially from Texas lawmakers who voted against the bill, argue that they live their life as girls in every capacity, and it would be unfair to require them to out themselves to play. Under existing Texas rules, a transgender boy was required to wrestle against girls in the 2017 state championship, even though he wanted to compete against boys. You guys probably remember that. Do you remember that um, article as it was going around? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So continue the quote. Advocates point to natural ranges of testosterone and muscle mass between cisgender children to deny the transgender athlete would to ha- would have a certain physical advantage. Mm-hmm. So, okay. This is another argument that I personally make, not only arguing why we have sports in school in the first place is not because we want everyone to be winners, but also most students are encouraged to participate. And if you have ever been in a school or been around children, 
you would know everyone is different. Everyone is a different height, a different weight, different strengths. Everyone is different. Everyone is encouraged to join school sports, no matter their body. Mm -hmm. Just as the book... As the book quote from before, that body image is problematic and something that needs to be addressed, even among cisgender students. Mm-hmm. To problematize transgender students because of their perceived differences is a deeply ignorant perception of what school sports is, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, to continue the quote, in August 2020, a federal district court judge blocked an Idaho law that bars transgender women from participating in girls' or women's school athletic teams from taking effect while he hears a lawsuit brought by the ACLU of Idaho on behalf of Lindsay Hecox, a transgender track athlete at Boise State University and a cisgender female student identified in court papers as Jane Doe. U.S. District David C. Nye wrote in his ruling that the number of transgender women's athletes, coupled with the significant dispute regarding whether such athletes actually have a physiological advantages over cisgender women when they have undergone hormone suppression in particular, suggests the act's categorical exclusion of transgender women athletes has no relationship to ensuring equality in opportunities for female athletes in Idaho. And I've read this judge's words a few times, and I think what it's saying is trying to figure out the physiological advantages or disadvantages transgender women may potentially have isn't significant to the conversation about ensuring opportunities for female athletes because trans women are women. I think that's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it sounds like, and he's right. There's not actually any real b- human being. There's he, the way that humans are built. There's no real statistical average in the first place when it comes to like physio- physiology. <laughs> So, like, trying to, like, deter- and there's such a small number of trans women in doing a- athletics in the first place that it's, like, what data? There's no data. And there shouldn't be mm. data because, again, if you grab 500 cisgender women at random, the the variance you're going to, there's going to be so many, va- like, variances in physio- physio- uh, physiology because that's just how human beings are, question mark. Yeah, and he's saying, and he's saying this doesn't, have any relationship to the equality or opportunities for female athletes. Exactly. Because trying to figure out if transgender women have physiological advantages or disadvantages doesn't affect the fact that they're women and deserve to be in women's sports. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's what he's saying. Now, the legal scholars listening, please help me out. (laughs) But I love that because it was just like, who cares? <laughs> because having transgender women participate in sports is good for women's sports. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was just really funny. Um, so most of the disputes center on older transgender girls who have not had gender affirming care. But the question of advantage is not cut not as cut and dry as some people think said oakley of the human rights campaign in some states transgender athletes have successfully comp- competed for years and state laws create overly broad mandates that apply to young children as well as high school and collegiate athletes she said it's not that trans students began playing sports 2 years ago it's not that trans youth have existed for only 2 years It's not like they just fell out of the sky, Oakley said. Trans youth have been playing sports for decades. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If not, since the beginning of the human race. Right. (laughs) Since the invention of sports, trans kids have been playing sports. Yeah. All right. Um, (laughs) So we're moving back to the book Sports and K-12 Education. And later in the book... Um, There's a chapter written by DeAndre L. Shepard titled Student Athlete 
identity formation, and the relationship between an athletic subculture and academic success. That's the title. That's the entire title. You'll know as you start to name papers and do research uh, if you are pursuing this <laughs> academically. You have these long titles with all these keywords so your book, your paper is accessible. Yeah. So they all have pretty long titles. Um, what I found interesting um, in this chapter for our purposes is that there are two things. One, that K through 12 students, oh, sorry, that K through 12 uh, schools were never actually intended to become a training facility for future college and professional athletes, as many successful sports programs feel like they were built to, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's how high school, that's how high school sports feel now, mm -hmm. is that to succeed in high school sports means you are on your way to college sports, right? Mm -hmm. Quote, rather, schools develop sports-based extracurricular activities to teach things that were hard to teach in a classroom, including character development, sportsmanship, fair play, and teamwork. Mm -hmm. um, they also mention self-esteem, relationship building, and social status. Um, the second thing that I found interesting in this piece is the idea of creation of identity. Mm -hmm. Quote, for many young athletes, participating in K-12 athletics is some of the was one of the few times that they are able to be themselves. That the self uh, receives daily reinforcement from an inner circle of coaches and teammates that offers a feeling of comfort and inclusion, mm -hmm. even superiority. Mm -hmm. The more athletic praise received, the more loyal they become to the subculture of athletics. By comparison, some student-athletes never develop this kind of close relationship with teachers. Mm. So thinking about the possibilities of holistic building of identity, connected with a broader community, and creating identity within a school that is not tied to social identifiers, such as, like, um, race, class, that's what I mean by social identifiers. Right. Um, but instead a team. Achieving equality within the school experience. Mm -hmm. um, this is what is being taken away from transgender student-athletes in Texas and across other states that have similar laws. Mm. Um I'm going to read this uh, article from Glisten, um, but do you have any thoughts on the sort of the role of sports in schools? Um, no. <laughs> That's okay if it was no. Um, it's interesting because it's like I feel like sports isn't something I haven't I haven't worked hard to analyze it, and I think yeah. it is because of the wider culture of being sports versus art, right? Yeah, well, and I think like. I guess like it's interesting to think about this in connection with my my high school middle school experience because we had sports teams um and there I definitely had like friends that were on sports teams and I feel like it was a my understanding of that culture and I was could have been wrong cuz I was you know a teenager but like it felt closer, I think, to the way that this book is like described, like the, the stuff that you've been talking about, like the actual goal of sports, Good. because people went to my, you know, people went to my school to go to arts college. So no one was right. trying to feed through the sports program into sports. Um, and, you know, the athletes got praised, but the sports weren't integral to the identity of the school. So right. it, it felt much more like a thing that people just did because they genuinely liked the sport and they were like friends. Like there wasn't this like there wasn't that culture of um, athleticism that you sort of see that I'm only I only know really from like teen television, yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, if you think about, like, if I think about my own school that I work at, um, the amount of people who go to the football game mm -hmm. versus the amount of people who go to the theater show right, um, is vast. Yeah, and, you know, I, went, I, I was not a person that went to sports games. I bet that a lot of people went to the sports games, but, like, you know, our theater programs were packed because the theater majors were, like, a big deal, you know what I mean? So it was a very different yeah. culture. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not saying it was perfect or that it's like what every culture should be, but it was good. Like for my understanding. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's the idea of what sports in schools should be. And I think that's like, 
we're talking about the positive, right? We're yeah. talking about this is this is what um, ho- holistic identity, right? And mm-hmm. that inter- it's so interesting to me to connect that identity of team, right? Identity of the people that you're creating something with is really special, right? Yeah. Rather than identity of individual right and and seeing it as like a collective like obviously individual success within the collective but like individual success for the good of the collective right and and i think and and list and seeing all that value and seeing how healthy that can be and this is what is being denied transgender kids yeah um so glisten which is the gay lesbian and straight education network um, just so happens to have their new campaign, Changing the Game, on their front page. This is the conversation that's happening now. Um, there are policy resources there for all school students and workers. If this is something that you need for your district, if you are working on creating more of an inclusive uh, athletic program in your school, um, there's opportunity. There's like resources there on how to speak with administration and how to speak with uh, people with authority on what you want. And, um, but now I'm going to talk about Glisten's statement um, on that Texan law, and I'm going to read it in its entirety because it's relatively short and it's important. So this is from October 25th, 2021. Glisten condemns Texas anti-transgender sports ban urges federal non-discrimination protections to protect transgender youth. Today, October 25th, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed HB 25, a law that restricts transgender student athletes from playing on school sports teams that align with their gender identity. Under HB 25, transgender students will not only be will only be permitted to compete in sports teams that correspond to the gender listed on their birth certificate that was assigned at or near their time of birth. Opportunities of LGBTQ plus equality are using our transgender youth as part, sorry, <clears throat> opponents of LGBTQ plus equality are using our transgender youth as part of their politically motivated assault on the equal rights of transgender people, said GLSEN Interim Executive Director Melanie Willingham Jaggers. GLSEN strongly condemns Governor Abbott for signing HB 25 into law, and we will continue to devote our, our support and resources to the transgender young people in Texas and across the country who are leading the fight against these co- kinds of cruel political attacks. The exclusion of, of transgender children from school sports does irreparable harm, fueling bias, fear, and discrimination in our schools and among our youth. According to GLSEN's 2019 National School Climate Survey, more than 80% of transgender students experience gender-based bullying and victimization at school, and more than 40% missed school in the last month because they felt unsafe. Texas's new ban proves that we cannot continue to rely on an incomplete patchwork of local and state protections for vulnerable LGBTQ plus youth. Federal non-discrimination protections like those found in the Safe Schools Improvement Act are urgently needed to put an end to these state-by-state attempts to strip transgender young people of their basic rights. Transgender students, binary and non-binary, should have the same access to athletic participation as their classmates. We'll continue to push federal leaders to deliver real solutions for young people, and in the meantime, GLSEN will continue supporting students, families, and educators across the country with resources on LGBTQ inclusive athletics. Schools across the country can do their part to stand up against this wave of anti-transgender rhetoric by creating affirming and inclusive athletic spaces in their own communities. Every student should have equal opportunity in education where they can thrive and reach their full potential. Um, In conclusion, I don't think it's bad to talk about book banning. Banning isn't a good thing. And we have talked about it on this podcast before. 
But in this instance, I am not interested in picking apart why my book, The Breakaways, was banned. I know why it was banned. I'm not interested in talking about my feelings on it, or especially somehow capitalizing on this violence for my book sales. To joke and make light of what's happening because I feel like it's somehow an attack on me? It isn't. It's an attack on kids. There are kids who are under attack right now, who aren't being given the same opportunities as other kids, and that's who I care about. That's what we should be talking about, giving attention, and giving our support. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so now is our, uh, conclusion segment. Uh, what did we learn? What are our goals and what do we want our takeaways to be? Mm -hmm. What do you think, Remus? What did you learn today? Um, I mean, I really, that I appreciate you bringing that book sports in K through 12 education. I think, um, thinking about like the, one, it's, it would be interesting to get into, like, the history of sports in schools more and sort of see where that shift mm, happened and, like, mm -hmm. the 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 factors that maybe led to that shift um, into sports being seen as just this, like, vehicle for entrance to college and very, like, I mean, I think the stuff, the, 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 like, focus on individualism and flawed meritocracy definitely relates to what we talked about in our white supremacy culture episode. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously these things also intersect with, like, what we talked about, all the episodes you named. So, like, what we talked about with the ableism last episode, what we talked about with the white supremacy culture, um, our episode on censorship, our, our episode on, like, masculinity um, mm -hmm. and trans youth. Um, so... I mean, I think it's just really useful. I think it's useful to sort of bring like the positive, like you were saying, like bring those positive sides of sports and sports education um, to really highlight like one that it has positives, right? Because mm -hmm. I think that could be missed. But then yeah. also like, um, again, sort of like really keeping the conversation on like what is being denied uh, to transgender yes. youth and what's being used against them and like how yes. that culture affects them. So, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, oh shoot, you just said so many things. It was Sorry. something I had a response for something at the beginning. What would you say at the beginning? Um, I should take notes. Positive that it was positives, the positives of it. No, it was before that. I say a lot of things, Kathy. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, it, interested in looking at the history of yes that college sports programs. You know, I think, I think it's going to come back to capitalism because college oh, yeah. sports is big money, right? And tuition has been going up a lot. Um, the cost of college and university has gone up a lot, and I wonder if that might be tied to cutting public funding for colleges and universities that then tie to um, them having to get more private funding, which might mean having sports teams that win because people who want to give money to sports teams that win. Um, and then that program looking for feeder schools, looking for high school, high schools programs that are successful. Um, so I actually, I, have a sneaking suspicion that it is capitalism's problem. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, but that is uh, something for another episode. That's a great idea. And I, <laughs> I didn't put this into the actual uh, podcast yet, but I did put this here. Um, I haven't gotten to say this, but I love Texas. <laughs> I love visiting. I love Texan authors and movies. I love it. Remus is in Texas right now. Yeah, I am moving to Texas in like a month. Yeah, <laughs> so. I love the real Texas. So don't come at me with the energy that the South is backwards or anything like that. That's garbage. Texas rules. Yeah, and I think that's really important to say because I think there's this rhetoric that the South is inherently more backwards than anywhere else. No, when first of all, like so much good important militant activism comes from the south mm -hmm. like we would be nowhere without the south but also like 
I think it's often used as a way for uh, people like people up north to not pay attention to what's happening mm-hmm. in, to, in their states when it's the same exact stuff. It is um, the same stuff. Yeah, there's like a lot of states that yes. have similar transgender bans. For yes. Kids. Like, mm-hmm. is Greg Abbott uh, particularly bad? Sure. Is he the only <laughs> politician in America with this problem? No. Like, <laughs> so yeah yeah agreed texas agreed. is cool you know texas is cool i love the that people place. in texas are not greg abbott right like that's the thing you yeah. got to keep in mind mm-hmm. is that like every place has bigoted people um and they do not make up the whole of the location nor are they more somehow more present than the marginalized folks that also live here yep mm-hmm Agreed. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this to the podcast. You're welcome. Um, so now it is our segment, Letters to the Editor. Mm-hmm. Um, you can send us letters at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. That is the name of the podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And we got an email from Yay! Jesse Zabarski, friend of the pod, um, author of Witch Light. Um, which is a wonderful book from Random House Graphic, originally published by Chat Books. Yeah. Um, Chat Books being my partner's publishing house. Um, so to quote Jesse, I've been wanting to write to you for a while. I really love your podcast and I'm so glad it's back. And the new format is great. So what do you think of that, Remus? There's more to your <laughs> Oh, I love to be complimented. Thank you. <laughs> I like that. I'm glad that our new format, I like getting f- feedback on the new format. Yeah, it's nice. I I'm glad to hear that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she also s- said she appreciated the most recent episode, which was the ableism and inaccessibility, um, one that uh, Remus led. Um and to quote her, I'm in the process of pitching my new graphic novel, which will hopefully be the first I'll make entirely without also working a 30 to 40 hours week at a J job. Congratulations. Um, I've been thinking a lot about what kind of timeline is possible slash ideal in this situation. And your discussion was a real great reality check on what I'm allowed to want for myself. Yes. Yes. Yes, that is the goal. You should want to be like, I think, I mean, that's what I said last time, right? Is that like that internalized ableism where you like deny mm-hmm. yourself even the desire to rest mm-hmm. because you perceive it as like, not you as in literally you, Jesse, but like all of us perceive it as like um, something bad, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we love that. And we support you, Jesse. Yes. And we want all cartoonists to be happy and healthy so they can continue to make comics yes. throughout their entire life because we want to read comic books. Yes. <laughs> um, and she also recommended a book to us and I ordered it and it hasn't arrived yet, but it's a book by Jules Pfeiffer Ooh. Um, titled The Man in the Ceiling, I think I want to say. Yes. Um, and so hopefully it'll show up for me soon because I love... I love examining masculinity. I think that's really interesting. Um, Ooh, I should get this. Well, thank you. Okay. Um, I'll I ordered it and I can lend it to you when I'm done. Thank you. Yes, You're when welcome. you when you come to Texas to hang out. I yeah, it will be happening. Oh, this came out the year I was born. Okay, that's a. Um... Ooh. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. 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 So it's about you. <laughs> You're the man in the ceiling. <laughs> I didn't try to do sports, though, so there's, there's... I don't know if it's about sports. Oh, well, hold It's on, about okay. masculinity, right? Uh, Which is yes, you're right. Everything. Yes, I'm thinking about sports, so my, my right. brain was like, it's Think about them. I'm thinking about them, too. <laughs> um, so thanks, Downtown Boys, for the song Wave of History. It's off their album, Full Communism. You can buy it off their band camp. Um... This podcast is hosted on comicarted.com mm-hmm. and you can head over to drawingadialogue.com to view fi- citations for this podcast. You can, like Kathy just said, you can email us at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at drawadialogue minus the ing. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, I do this every time I don't remember my t- Remus uh, at Remus Maurice, which is 
R-E-M-U-S-M-A-U-R-I-C-E. And you can follow me at Kathy G. John, C-A-T-H-Y-G-J-O-H-N. Um, and that's on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, come on down. I also just posted a new uh, YouTube video. If you didn't know, yeah. I have a YouTube channel. You do. You have all the things now. I do. I just, I, I feel compelled to make stuff mm-hmm. that I enjoy other people doing. So, like, I enjoy YouTubes. So I was like, I want to make some YouTubes. So, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. They're good uh, YouTubes. Thank you. Um, so what are you reading, Remus? Oh, great question. Um, oh, okay. Um, I, I've been flitting through stuff, but I actually recently read, um, my, my friend slash boss recommended this book, um, called Organizing for ADHD Ooh. by, uh, Susan C. Pinsky. Um, and I, it's very, most of it is stuff that I, like, I already do, but it's very, she's like a professional organizer. So it's very validating to have someone who like helps people organize for a living be like, mm-hmm. yes, you are doing the correct thing for the way that your brain works. Um, cool. But also it is, I, if you're like a, a, not just ADHD, but if you're like a neurodivergent person or like a person in general who like struggles with like organizing stuff, um, it is, I think really helpful. And I love the way it's written because it's written um, like, it has like it's just very easy to skim like there's big like post-it notes on pages with like the you know the tldr basically and like it's like broken down in such a way because it's like written for people who don't have an attention span right (laughs) obviously that's so Um, interesting yeah and it's really helpful the way that she like talks about this stuff without being like pathologizing about it because it's just like you like you have if you have the kind of brain where like you can't do five steps to put something away you need a system that does not make you do five steps to put something away um Mm -hmm. without being like judgmental or being like you can't do this because you're wrong it's just like no the organizing system you tried was wrong Mm, yeah (laughs) um so it's it's very easy to breeze through and it was very helpful so that's awesome i love that yeah. Um. What are you reading, Kathy? Um. So normally I am reading a novel, and mm-hmm. I I have a novel to talk about, but you know it's it's the end of my trimester, so I'm like grading, and it's very stressful. And so I've mm-hmm. had a little bit of a stressful time, and so I have been obsessed with the movie Scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have read, so, spoilers for Scream, if you haven't watched it. It came out in 1996. Um, uh, There's two killers, Billy and Stu. um, And I've read all of the fanfiction about the two of them. Every single fanfiction I I have consumed and have thoughts and feelings about. Um, And I've drawn Billy and Stu artwork and I just got the DVD that has the Wes Craven director's commentary. I'm very excited about that. So I actually paused Scream in order to (laughs) record this episode. (laughs) I'm glad that I could pull you away from Scream. I'm just like really having, I'm like, I've been wearing a Scream baseball cap this entire episode. I am wearing one right now. Can I? Um, can I, like, tell you a secret, Kathy? Is it a secret that our podcast listeners can also know? Yes. Please. I've never seen Scream. I know, of course you didn't. Because, no, okay, here's the thing. Um, Scream was, like, if you were living in the 90s, um, Scream was what all the horrible boys war at Halloween and they tormented you. It has like a it has like a it's like it's like the same reason that I didn't get into Nirvana until I was in my 20s because like that's what the horrible boys in high school and middle school were into. But now I'm like now it's time for us to rise up and get to own all these things that the horrible boys owned in the 90s. They're ours now, Remus. 
Well, that's the thing. When you started posting about Scream, I like went and actually read the plot synopsis, and I was like, this is a lot funnier than like I thought it would yeah. be. <laughs> so I need to... I... Well, I've been obsessed with Russ Craven, who is mm. the director. He passed away, like, I don't know, seven years ago, something like that. Um, and I, like, have been obsessed with his interviews and the way he talks about masculinity and the right. way he talks about violence and, like, violence as a um, culture. If you've listened to Drawing and Dialogue, if you know anything about my artwork, you know that I'm very interested in violence and masculinity. That's something yeah. that I'm always interested in. So I've loved him as a as a director, but I've been too scared to watch his movies until now. I got brave. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm so happy <laughs> because it's so good. <laughs> oh, anyway. so, yeah, I'll have to watch it. Yeah, I got the DVD. When I come down and visit, we can <laughs> watch the DVD together. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like uh, uh, Matthew Lillard is incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible in this role. It is like life changing and affirming. <laughs> um, it's incredible. The fanfic is not good, so don't bother anyone out there who's listening. It's just it's just what you do when you're into or when you're obsessed with something. If you're listening and you like scream and write a you fan, write fan, fan fiction, me. write a better fan fiction for Kathy. <laughs> write better fan fiction for me. Thank you. Thank you. Um and if you're listening and you're a fanfic author in Scream, I'm so sorry, I'm not talking about yours. Yours was great. Um <laughs> Um, and that was Screamcast 2021. Love ya. Bye. Um, thank you so much for listening to Drawing a Dialogue. Uh, my name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. Solidarity forever. Bye.